0: Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to the Mormon News Roundup, where uh, where, uh, Divas and Al ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. Today is October 9th, 2022, and this is episode number 28. Your uh, episode this week, The Mormon Renegade, is going to crash the podcast. A Sunday general conference uh, thoughts. A New York judge clears the way for polyamorous relationships. Elder Bednar is in hot water over plagiarism charges relating to his last general conference talk. And are LDS leaders getting too old? And finally, we finish out with the strength of the youth pamphlet updates. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, head on over to our website, at www.mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can drop us an email to kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org. That's K-O-L-O-B. So let's get to know the Mormon Renegade. Welcome to the Mormon News Roundup. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Wonderful. Hey, what should we call you? Just Dave is fine. Okay. Dave I, like Mor- I like Mormon renegade sounds better, but you know, we'll go with Dave if that works for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, be, it sure beats the, the nickname my kindergarten teacher
0: gave me, which was you little SOB. So Dave, <laughs> okay, Dave, well, Dave rolls good. I think we can do better than that. So, hey, I uh, what makes the uh, followers of Joseph Smith Jr. so interesting to you, uh, Dave? So you, I think it's
1: this idea of, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, I wasn't born a Mormon of any stripe. I wasn't a a traditional uh, member of the LDS church growing up. I wasn't a Mormon fundamentalist like I am now. I was simply uh, just kind of a non-denominational guy. And one of the things that, I mean, my folks had some religion, but it was really, really uh, sparse. But I think for me, it was two things. One, and most importantly, my father passed when I was 13 and i had a lot of questions about what happens after you die right and i remember uh and it, this uh this um pastor of of this certain church in a little town i uh, i came to age at uh came to age of and he uh i remember he said you know unless your dad accepted jesus christ on his deathbed he's lost and uh that started me searching and and the thing that appealed to me about uh joseph smith's teachings and the restored gospel was this idea that, you know, um, if you didn't get a chance to hear the gospel in this life, you would have that opportunity in the next. And that was a big, a big thing. It
0: was offering salvation
1: for my dad, essentially. Right. There was still yeah, a so you felt
0: a re- You felt a resonance with Joseph Smith Jr., especially with the passing of Alvin, because that's when that yeah. question particularly came up. Yeah. And and that's that kind of reminds, you know, Joseph Smith, he was pondering when Alvin died. And supposedly a a preacher said that uh, at Alvin's funeral that he wouldn't be going to heaven because he was not baptized. And a very similar thing happened to you in your life. Is that right? Absolutely. I wish I would have looked into Mormonism sooner. Uh, I had a lot of good
1: friends who were LDS and they were like, well, if you're investigating religion, you got to investigate ours. Right. And I was like, no, because I don't think stopping drinking coffee is going to fix it. (laughs) Okay. Well, when did you start the Mormon (laughs) Renegade podcast? I would have been back in April is when I would have started that podcast. Um, So just April of
0: this year, you've been around for like uh, uh, like, eight or ten months or something? Yeah, that's it. Wow. Now, what do you hope to accomplish uh, with the Mormon Renegade podcast? You know, really, it's this idea of, as Mormon
1: fundamentalists kind of making sure that we have a hand in telling our own story. Um, I didn't intend for it to do this, but as soon as I started the podcast, you had things like Under the Banner of Heaven come out, Keep Sweet and Obey. And those, it, it, Not you did have some other folks out there like the Browns and the Dargers who I feel like did a pretty good job. But really, I mean, we, we kind of, have, as a fundamentalist community, have allowed um, – pop pop culture modern culture to paint our story for us and so just this idea of getting out there now and and trying to tell our stories a little bit and you know make sure everyone knows that we aren't all associated with the FLDS church down in uh, Colorado City
0: Now we have reviewed on the Mormon News Roundup every single last episode of Under the Banner of Heaven, and also every all four episodes of Keep, Sweep, Pray, and Obey. So if you're listening to this podcast, go back and listen to the Mormon News Roundup. We covered every one of those episodes. Now, Dave, what has been the reaction to your podcast? I have been amazed. I really have. What What has amazed
1: me most? um, One is is just how starved uh, the fundamentalist community I think has felt in terms of, uh, you know. having somebody talk about their beliefs and I shouldn't say their our beliefs and our, our thoughts on the restored gospel. Um, cause I don't think there was much, there was a few Facebook groups out there who did a tremendous job. There were authors, but nothing in the way of podcasting. So from the fundamentalist community, it's been fantastic. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of folks reach out to me. Um, and the other thing is, is, um just how many mainstream LDS folks have reached out to me and you know either thanked me or has have asked for more information on on certain old school Mormon uh teachings that have been forgotten that are all of a sudden being brought up and and things like under the banner of heaven or keep sweet and obey and i remember i received this really touching email from a member of the LDS church who had just sat down and had, um, watched under the banner of heaven and really were shaken in their faith. And, uh, I had an episode right after that came out where me and another gentleman sat down and went through, not just under the banner of heaven, but also what blood atonement was and, you know, how, how it was interpreted and some of its, uh, um, repercussions of being taught and whatnot. And she said that in being able to hear that it, it, it kind of saved her faith and, and she was able to go back to the LDS church and, and, and continue on in her faith. And and to me that was touching and I didn't intend for it to be that way. Look, I started this thing because I think fundamentalists are cool, right? I like sitting down and talking with other people sure. and getting their stories, but one of the things I didn't see coming is what kind of impact it was having. And it's kind of taken on a life of its own now. And I've worked with mainstream members of the LDS church as, as well as folks outside of Mormonism. I've had a lot of folks reach out to me. Um, One I can think of right off the top of my head was a Calvinist who reached out and we struck up a great friendship. So I think just getting the general public more aware of who we are, that we're all not, sociopaths like under the banner of heaven or we're not all warren jeff's you know backers so to speak
0: i, I- I found it very interesting what you said, Dave, in that you were trying to find uh, provide a space for fundamentalists to tell their own story. And if you think about the Mormon podcasting world, there's an awful lot of uh, LDS-centered ones, and then there's a lot of so-called ex-Mormon ones. But as far as fundamentalists telling their own stories, you may be the most popular fundamentalist podcaster out there. I don't think—see, the year of polygamy, obviously, it deals a lot with Mormon fundamentalism as well. But it's not being told from a fundamentalist perspective. It's really being— from an outsider's perspective. Would you agree with that? I I think that's correct. And and I, I want to make sure that that I'm clear
1: that that I don't think I'm trying not to paint just a rosy picture of fundamentalism either, right? I know that there's some stuff in there that we have to deal with as a people. Um I had on uh Dr. Christina Rossetti on one episode because she's a historian yeah, I listen to that. She's a historian. She is a um scholar and i feel like she does a really good job of of showing the fundamentalist community both the good and the bad. And so, yeah, definitely. I think i think we need to tell some story, uh, tell have, have excuse me, have a hand in telling our story, but also being able to um maybe have this strike up some discussions internally in the in the fundamentalist community.
0: Now I think I have just two last questions. Why do you call yourself a Mormon fundamentalist? Mormon fundamentalist slash. What is a Mormon fundamentalist? That's uh, I've got a two-parter. Can you answer that? Yeah. So let let's start with
1: what is a Mormon fundamentalist? Because I think that because we're people, and this seems to be a a people kind of a thing, we we tend to want to group folks just in one camp, right? Um, and I, I think we can see the, the problems with that in our political system, right? You either take all of the Republican party's, uh, platforms or you take none of them. And I think the same goes for religion, right? If, if you're called a Mormon fundamentalist, well, the first thing that comes to mind is Warren Jeffs and prairie dresses and living in the desert. Um, so sure. in, in defining what a fundamentalist is, I would say that it can vary differently based family to family or group to group, right? Um, But I guess if you were to ask me my definition, it's trying to get back to the original teachings of Joseph Smith in the restored gospel, along with early church leaders with some caveats there that, you know, there's certain things that certain leaders taught that maybe we don't necessarily, all of us necessarily agree with.
0: Very well, um now, is there anything else you want to tell us about your personal life or religious background before we get into uh this week's uh mormon news roundup um i I guess first off
1: is is that i've I've always tried to treat the church fairly the l d s church um a lot of fundamentalists come at the l d s church with a lot of hate and anger, and i'm not necessarily in that camp right I enjoyed my time in the l d s church um i I've often said I feel like the l d s church was the gateway drug to fundamentalist Mormonism. So I think so. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I definitely loved my time in the LDS church and uh, you know, I always want to give the church a, a, a fair shake, so to speak.
0: Sure, you bet. Now, that brings us, uh, well, we're, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for coming on. Now, that we always start off all of our uh, Mormon News Roundup episodes with the Mormon Joke of the Week, so here you go. A Mormon, he was having an affair with a 15-year-old girl who had lied about her age. Now, when he learned the truth about her age, he broke it off, but over the next few weeks, guilt set in, and he confessed to his wife. She ended up screaming at him, how could you cheat on me? And with an older woman. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's so there we go. That's that's what you're going to get now. Our first news article here for the week here, uh, Dave, is the uh, we just had general conferences last week, and the Church mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints has announced that they are going to build 18 new houses of the Lord. And uh, uh, President Nelson is saying that this is going to increase our ability to help gather Israel. Now, I think that the locations here are kind of interesting in that we have most of these uh, temples are announced outside of the United States. In fact. I think um, out of the 18 I think only two or maybe three of them are announced uh, the Nevada Lone Mountain Nevada Tacoma Washington and Prosper Texas Jacksonville Florida. M- anyway like most of them 13 out of the 18 are announced outside of the United States um did you uh, what, do, what do you think about that uh 18 temples that's a lot of temples you know and we covered this in the Mormon News roundup earlier we think that based upon the widows might report analysis that most of these temples they usually average around the uh, about fifty million dollars. So you can do the math: twenty temples times fifty million dollars. What is twenty times fifty? That would be a hundred. So this is like a billion dollars of temples just in one announcement. Right. What do you what do you think about this uh, temple announcement here, Dave?
1: Well, I think that it it shows probably where the church is growing most. To be to be honest with you, um, I think that that probably within the United States, I, I've seen some numbers come out that shows that. Realistically, the church is either flatlined as far as growth or losing members overall within the United States. So where they're seeing this, the, the swelling of, of membership is, is in those other areas that, that those temples are, are announced in. And I think it's also kind of a signal that, that um, where Mormonism used to be simply a, a, a sect within America, where the bulk of the membership was, that's now not the case. And so I think it's just showing that that there's a, a greater emphasis on this idea of them being a worldwide church.
0: Yeah, I mean, we discussed this before. When it comes to the growth within the United States, the LDS church has not achieved what is called the replacement rate for the last, uh, replacement, uh, replacement rate, um, I think that's the technical term of it. In other words, in the United States, more people are leaving the church than are joining it. The only reason that the church has not lost more members in the United States is because of inertia of LDS families. The average missionary over the last two years in the United States has only baptized per year 0.4 members per year. So that means on an average missionary in the in the United States for the LDS church they are only averaging 0.8 baptisms per mission. So your average United States missionary is not even making one baptism per year. The church growth in the United States, they've only grown a couple of thousand members. And if you toss out the state of Utah, they are they're losing membership in uh, in the United States. Now, I, I, you did say that you thought that these temples were the, where they were growing a lot. But I don't know. I take a look at like uh, Lone Mountain, Nevada. That's very close to Las Vegas. I mean, there's there's not a lot of church growth there. I mean, you're putting two Las Vegas temples next to each other. I don't know. So- it's hard for me to ex- explain that.
1: As far as the ones in the United States, I, th- I think what we can look at, especially with the one in Nevada is, you know, it, it, I know it seems counterintuitive, but that's a hotbed of Mormonism down in the Vegas Henderson area, right? And so maybe just replacement rate alone um, dictates that. Now, I also think it's, it's a fair point to make here that... Um, I don't think this is uniquely a Mormon problem, right? I think religion on the whole within the United States is is on a downward uh trend at the moment. Um I if you don't mind, I would like to ask you why you think that is? Why why religion as a whole, specifically the LDS church is in decline?
0: Well, that's interesting. We covered this. That's a great, good question, Dave. We covered this about, it was about two months ago. In Utah, from this last year, Utah religious participation rates dropped sharper this last year than any other state in the union in Utah. Okay, so religion cratered as far as people saying that it's religious. And I actually think that that is a testament to the sturdiness of the Latter-day Saint faith in particular, because about two thirds of uh, Utahns are Mormons. It's taken longer for the secularization of, you know, the. the, On a deeper level, you know, Europe, they became much more secular a long time ago, and the world is becoming more secular. It's taken a lot longer for that secularism to creep into Utah because of the sturdiness of the LDS faith. So I think it's a testament to that. You know, people... When, when you uh, Let me just answer that one more thing. David Bednar was asked the same question at the uh, National Press Club briefing back in May, and we covered this on the Mormon News Roundup as well. He was asked a specific question. I think his answer was right on. He said that the reason that people are leaving religion is because they're not finding satisfying answers. And I couldn't agree with him more. If religion religion is supposed to answer the whys of life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What I'm doing? And and what am I supposed to be doing with my life? If religion can't answer those questions, people will not, uh, will not, you know, will not be a part of religion.
1: You know, I find that interesting because Mormonism, uh, you know, what, what we on the inside refer to as the restored gospel was set up to answer those questions, right? Those very same questions. And what, what, this is my own opinion. This is one critique, and and I feel like it's a fair critique of, of the LDS Church, is that in answering those questions, they obviously had set themselves up differently than traditional Christianity. And as time's gone on, it seemed like as Mormons, we've had kind of a um, Religious envy, if you will, to be more like mainstream Christianity. Well, in doing that, you have to divorce or at least hide some of those old teachings that answered some of those questions. And, and I, my worry is is that in, in not answering those questions and shying away from Mormon history, uh, we won't answer those questions. And the, the LDS Church will continue to decline.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. What, what I think it is is that, see, I think you're right. When Mormonism was designed, it was saying we are going to be able to have the answers. We don't have to rely on ancient Stone Age myths that are printed in this book that may or may not be true. We can go to God, get divine answers and knowledge right now. So it sets it up as a different kind of paradigm. You know, if if someone's a garden variety Christian and you just ask them and you say, "Hey, you know, what do you think about a I don't know, a gay marriage?" and they say, "Well, it's not in the Bible. We don't know." That makes a lot of sense to me. But if you ask a Mormon about that, they should be able to have the answer because we've got modern day revelation. But if you're not able to answer those questions satisfactorily, especially with the dynamic that you set up of saying we have special access to truth, that's a big problem. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, now our next article, speaking of David A. Bednar, as I've referenced in that last one, was uh, from General Conference here. uh, Elder Bednar, this this is making national news. This was on religionnews.com, and this was released just a couple of days ago, October 6th, 2022. LTS Elder, a former college president, may have plagiarized his general conference talk. Now, Elder David Bednar, a former BYU-Idaho president, failed to tell listeners he was using material from an obscure religious teacher and other sources in his address. So they did side-by-side comparisons between his general conference talk and this other person's address, and there was a lot of plagiarism in there that seemed very evident. Now, a couple of days later, the, you know, the church reprints all of the talks on, its, uh, on the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, newsroom page they went back in about four days later and added all the citations in added all the footnotes in added all the quotes in and basically fixed the talk but naturally people are having some question as to why it is that the original talk that no one knew that this was coming from a different source
1: yeah so a, a couple questions there um, and and again I haven't read up as deeply on this as I should have but it said may have he may have plagiarized from there. Are we certain that he did? Is it verbatim? Is it something that we feel is watertight?
0: Well, what I would say, what I would say, first of all, is when you look at the talk now on the church's news page, there's no evidence of plagiarism at all there. Why? Because they put the quotes in where they were supposed to, and they put the citations in when they're supposed to. So right now, as it stands, if you look at it, he did not plagiarize. So okay. he has a clean bill of health. The only the only issue is is that you're giving a general conference talk And if a lot of it is coming from another source, most people would say, hey, and these ideas are coming from so and so because you can't see the footnotes and the quotations in a general conference talk as a listener. You're listening to it, you don't have access to those footnotes or those quotes. So typically, if a if a significant portion or even um you know, if a portion of your talk came from somewhere else, you would want to reference those materials. And also the the problem here is that when it was released on the church's webpage right away, there were no quotes, there were no citations, there was nothing there. until people started calling him out on it, then four days later they put the quotation marks back in, so it doesn't look good that's all I'm
1: trying to no, tell you yeah no that that definitely has has some issues there and and uh, as we talked earlier before um he should have known right because he was a college pre- uh, president <laughs> yeah. of a college university right <laughs> yeah so, so yeah, you would have thought that that even even if he was up there and and whatnot, and maybe it wasn't on the teleprompter that he would have been reminded. Hey, to even if he couldn't remember the name, to quote a you know Christian theologian or whatever, just make sure that you reference that to somebody else and not yourself. Should have been the way to 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 go about that, definitely.
0: Yeah. I, like I, we were talking before, look, if this was Elder, uh, you know, who's the used car salesman, uh, Elder uh, Ballard? If this was Elder Ballard and he didn't have the proper citations or the proper footnotes or he didn't follow the proper precedents for citing thing. Honestly, I feel like I could look past that because, you yeah, know, he's just a used car salesman. Elder Bednar has got a Ph.D. I think it's from Purdue. Uh, as I recall, he's got a Ph.D. He was a dean at the University of Arkansas for a number of years. Then he was a college president. If anyone should know better. It should be Elder Bednar. Now, if when he published it on the church's news page, if they had left off, look, Jana Reese said, I just saw the original there. It doesn't resolve the problem of quoting verbatim without quotation marks, but it's better than nothing. If he released it to the church and they forgot the quotation marks, forgot the citations, and they just fouled it all up and there's a logical explanation, then just let us know but people right. I think deserve to know um if if you make a foul up I think people deserve to know what's going on and people are right to ask questions about this well absolutely and and
1: let's be honest one the church has never been real good about you know just coming out and saying you know what we screwed this one up you know we we hosed this it's always been a series of of uh kind of backtracking and then hoping everybody forgets about it
0: Well, if you also think back to Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith liked to take things from his milieu, and he would, you know, he would take them, he would repurpose them, and he would put them into his doctrines. He didn't always cite the sources that he was from. For instance, the Joseph Smith translation we know now is based a lot on the Adam Clark commentary that was available to Joseph Smith that's been proven without question. He didn't cite Adam Clark. So it's kind of like we have a history in the church of not necessarily citing other sources of just saying, hey, this is from us now. So I don't know, Elder Bednar, he seems like he's in good company. (laughs) well
1: Um, i think there's look without having done a ton of research i have i have heard that criticism of the joseph smith translation um there's some also some pretty glaring evidence that to the contrary on that and i'd love to have a further in-depth conversation on that but i i don't think it's as cut and dry as that
0: Okay, fair enough. I don't think we have enough time to get into that all the way. But all I say is Jana Reese, who tweeted out, she says it would have been better for Elder Bednar to give credit to the other person in the talk's initial publication on the website than to wait four days later. You know, and, and you know, I don't need, uh, you know, this is another tweet that I read. People will say, you know, I don't need Elder Bednar to be perfect. And I've said this on this podcast many times. Elder Bednar is my favorite apostle. I, I like Elder Bednar and his approach. Um, I don't, and this is from uh, Calvin Burke tweeted this out. He said, listen, I don't need Elder Bednar to be perfect. I just need him to be honest. And if invoking a Trumpian response to his conference talk plagiarism just means folks will ask, well, if I can't trust Elder Bednar to be honest about his conference talk, how can I trust him to be honest about his testimony? And that to me seems like a fair criticism. Yes. Yeah, I I think I think
1: that it's a fair criticism that he didn't put it in quotation marks. I would always be a little bit hesitant about quoting from Calvin J. Burke, just because if you follow him on Twitter, he's definitely got an axe to grind. It's not like you're getting (laughs) you're getting a unbiased opinion, right? You're not going to get a fair opinion there. Uh,
0: okay, uh, maybe we uh, we probably won't get a fair opinion from at fake LDS newsroom either. But I no, like their tweet. No, we won't. <laughs> we uh, I like their tweet though. I just want to share that it says whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants or by the voice of my servants plagiarizing my other servants, it is the same. And I think that I think that that sums it up pretty well. If you look at the Reddit, people have put on Reddit his talk and they put it right next to the other uh, individual's talk. They put them side by side and highlighted the uh, highlights. Look, I I don't know how many people when David A. Bednar was uh, the president of BYU, Idaho. I don't know how many of them got kicked out from plagiarism. But I think everyone who did should be asking for a tuition refund.
1: Yeah, no, I I think I think that, that he should be held accountable there.
0: Okay, now we, this goes along. If you ha- uh, listeners, if you head on over to our uh, our, our show on Anchor, this is this uh, podcast is put out on uh, uh, Apple, it's put out on Spotify. But if you come over to Anchor, you can engage with us on the Mormon News Roundup poll of the week, and our poll of the week here. And Dave, I want you to take this poll and answer it truthfully, according to uh, what you, how do you feel about this last article? And our listeners can do the same. This says, how do you feel about Elder David Bednar's possibly plagiarizing his latest general conference talk? Is it number one? And can you read us number one, Dave?
1: Number one, anti-Mormon lies. Never trust the liberal news media or Google or the godless atheist.
0: Excuse me. Yeah. No, never trust the liberal news media or the godless atheist. It's all just a bunch of it's a pack of lies. Or is it uh, number two? No problem. Let's just call it a catalyst theory and move on. Kind of like the Book of Abraham. You know, it's just, you know, it's just a catalyst theory, right? <laughs> or how about that uh, number three?
1: Quick, call Curtin McConkey McConkie and get some legal advice before things go global.
0: Well, it may be too late for that. It's already on religionnews.com. It's making the it round. So I guess they, they must have missed the opportunity to do that. Or how about number four? Elder Bednar should apologize. Wait. The church doesn't apologize. He should ask wife
1: Susan to apologize for him.
0: Yeah, maybe Susan, since the church, we know the church does not offer or seek apologies, and uh, that's, so he can't apologize, but maybe his wife could apologize for him. That seems like a nice compromise. Or how about number five? See what all the fuss is
1: about, like half the Book of Mormon is copied from Isaiah, the Sermon on the Mount, and the writings of Paul. I'm not willing to go down that road. And I don't think that, half the Book of Mormon is copied directly from Isaiah or the Sermon on the Mount. Are there things in there that are the same? Yeah, but I would expect a God who's consistent to have very similar things within sacred scripture if he's trying to communicate those things to all parties involved.
0: Sure. So which one of those five do you think best represents? Uh, uh, what your thoughts are about Elder David Bednar, possibly plagiarizing his latest General Conference talk?
1: I'd say number three. let us Let's—, uh, let's... <laughs> Let's call Curt McConkie. I think that's the church's go-to. Now, can I bring up another story I want to talk about from General Conference real quick? Sure. I want to talk about Russell M. Nelson's um, comments. I believe it was the first session on Saturday where he talked about um, how how abhorrent abuse is and whatnot. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, that rings very hollow, and I'm going to tell you why. I think it's hollow because, look, you could wake somebody up from a coma. Let's go back and reference what his talk was about there where he's denouncing abuse. Um, he's he's referencing that AP story that came out a few months ago where the LDS church on the local level uh, had a uh, member down in Arizona who came and confessed— that he was sexually molesting his daughters. And rather than take the appropriate actions of getting the wife and the children out of that situation, they instead called Curtin McConkie. And, yep. and Curtin McConkie said, You don't have a right or a responsibility to contact the local authorities. To me, that's what happens when you replace the spirit with lawyers. And you replace the scriptures with a handbook. You have that kind of horror show. So to me, that was the biggest story of all from General Conference was was what happened there with with, uh, President Nelson's talk.
0: Yeah, and we discussed that in quite a bit in depth in our last uh, Mormon News Roundup episode because uh, we generally record these on Sunday. So yeah, we, we discussed uh, his response in depth. We've been covering that story very carefully as well. Um, so yeah, we, we, we did cover that quite a bit last week. Now, uh, from the general conference of which we have not covered, which was on Sunday, and this was, uh, we covered President Nelson's his Saturday address, but we did not cover what he discussed on Sunday. And this was uh, definitely making the rounds here. And this was the Book of Mormon video season four debuts with the Saviors ministry in the Americas. Now, this new season will have nine episodes with uh, new releases coming each Friday through November. And this was an article that was released on churchnews.com by Ryan Jensen on the 2nd of October 2022 now somebody uh, this uh, they, they did a teaser president Nelson in general conference did a teaser where Jesus Christ uh, appears in ancient America speaking of 35 chapter 11 through, uh, through chapters 8 through 11 well about eight through about 10 in particular and uh, somebody said this to me and they said oh this this looks a little bit cheesy what do you think about it and I, I watched through it and uh, I thought that it was actually uh, very well done in fact if you think about it the church has really never released a video which really shows uh, the complete totality of Jesus's visit to the Americas uh, until now. Um, did you get a chance to watch this video, Dave? And what is your reaction? I did. And, and look, to me, I, I think the, the,
1: the church's production arm did a good job, right? I, I didn't think it was overly cheesy or, or anything like that. I thought it was a good job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I run another YouTube channel that's called uh, Mormon Movie Reviews, and we're up to about 35 episodes of this. And somebody sent this to me. Uh, Rebecca from thegoodbookclub.com said, "You know, you really should review this video." And I watched it, and I, I just thought it was a good production. I didn't think I could uh, really add anything to it. It seems to be following the uh, Book of Mormon. Um, it seems to be following the Book of Mormon narrative very accurately. Um, it's showing some mystical aspects without being uh, overly. Uh, I don't know what you would want to say, but without being overly dramatic and um I don't think it was too cheesy i think it was a i think it was a nice touch. I think it was well done, and I think it's going to go down um as far as president nelson's legacy now our uh next our, our next article here is from also from general Conference. this came out here, and this was uh from the church's strength of the youth pamphlet um that just got updated. And this was an article on religiousnews.com that was on October 5th, 2022. And it says, are double ear piercings and sleeveless tops okay now for Mormons? And it says that the LDS church just backed off telling Mormon teens what to wear. And there's been a big change in, um, especially for young girls, about what they're supposed to wear, about, about the guidelines, about what they're supposed to wear. The idea of the so-called porn shoulders" seems to be going away. You know, President Hinckley, he was the one who denounced a double ear piercings Back in the 90s, all of that's gone now, and you're seeing a much more body positive. What most people are considering to be a much more positive body positive um, approach. Uh, were you able to uh, look at this uh, new uh, this article here, Dave? What
1: do you think? I did, I did, and look, I've always had an issue with some of the stuff in the Strength for Youth pamphlet, um, even going back to my earliest days in the LDS Church. Um, first off, those kids. You know, and and I talk about those kids, you know, teenagers and whatnot. They haven't been through the temple yet. They haven't made certain covenants. So, if a, if a young woman's wearing a a tank top, you know, whatever, that's that's her choice, right? And she hasn't made covenants to breach at that point. I don't have a problem with that sort of stuff. I I think if we're focusing on things like how many sets of ear piercings do you have, or do you have tattoos, or any of those other things. We as Mormons have our um, our priorities set in the wrong spot. There's enough bigger problems that are facing us in society that that maybe that's that's not not such uh, an important item. Now, having said that, I don't think anybody should be surprised at at the changes. Right. Um, my other critique of the LDS Church is that they tend to change things when they feel like the pressure's too great and um i think this is probably one of those things and look i live in utah i live in the mormon bubble it's not like everybody was um just wearing you know just wearing you know sleeve sh- you know long sleeve shirts or whatever that nobody was listening to the strength of youth for the most part anyway to begin with
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, Joseph Smith himself was the one who said, we teach the people correct principles and let them govern themselves. So uh, Elder Dieter Uchtdorf, he stated that, uh, quote, I suppose the guide could give you long lists of clothes you shouldn't wear, words you shouldn't say, and movies you shouldn't watch, but would that really be helpful in a global church, end quote. And it seems like in times past that that was a a lot of the church's approach was long lists of uh, do's and do nots, and it seems like they're moving away and maybe uh, approaching it more like uh, maybe Joseph Smith uh, would have done back in the 1840s. I think you can
1: definitely see it being a step away from from uh, uh, co- uh, being correlated so to speak uh, there there was a there was a time within the LDS church history that there was no such thing as, as correlation right um, There's a couple of very interesting LDS churches here in Utah. That, uh, you know, you can see were were built by people who'd raised the money themselves and built it themselves. And it wasn't the cookie cutter buildings that we see. And so this this I think that's trying to move away from from that correlation a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look back even 20 years ago for the the strength of the youth, it used to say no shorts or skirts, no shirts that don't cover the stomach, no tight clothing, no tattoos, no body piercing for girls, no shoulder showing for girls, nothing low cut in the back and the front. All that's gone now. Right. So a lot of people are saying, hallelujah, it's about time. So um, I think it's a nice step forward, um, and I think that the church is uh, moving in the right direction. Now, however,
1: you know, I I do want to, you know, maybe— Say this that that I am a fan of an idea of being somewhat modest, but again, it shouldn't be shouldn't be something that's mandated from the top. You would hope that if that's something that you believe is a Latter Day Saint, that that's coming from home.
0: Yeah, in fact, I I just saw an article a couple of weeks ago from a Utah Valley High School in which sixty girls were kicked out of their homecoming dances for quote unquote immodest dresses. Sixty girls now I know that's uh, obviously it's just a high school and it's not run by the church but that church culture can be very very strong and uh, I, if 60 girls are getting kicked out that seems like a, a lot to me this uh, the so-called purity culture can really um, it's really it can really have some uh, bad consequences in it and I think the first strength of the youth pamphlet update I think it's a really nice step in the right direction so I want to give the church I always like to give the church mega kudos whenever I can
1: I don't have a problem now, with with young people trying to stay pure or whatever or, or abstain from sex until, you know, after marriage. I think that's a good thing. The thing I would say is how is it being presented, right? Again, those are conversations that should be happening at home where mom and dad can help instill, um, uh, you know, their values, but also you make sure that, that they're passing along to their young people um, a sense of confidence and self-worth,
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me, especially since I've got four children myself. Now, our next article here is from uh, uh, fox13now.com. And this was just released on uh, uh, October 4th by Spencer Joseph. And the title of the article is, Is LDS Church Culture Under Attack? And this is, uh, they're talking about the recent chants at the BYU-Oregon game. We're also talking about several documentaries recently, everything from Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey to Mormon No More to Under the Banner of Heaven that all seem to be very, very Critical of the church, we're also seeing a lot, a lot of vandalism of uh, the church, both in Saint George. A couple of uh, um, in the last year, three chapels were burned to the ground in Saint George, over one point three million dollars worth of damage. And also along the Wasatch Front, especially uh, specifically in Sandy, there was a rash after the AP sex abuse scandal of people vandalizing uh, LDS church chapels in particular. And uh, they're saying, you know, is there a concerted effort here? Is LDS church culture under attack? Uh, is it, uh, Dave?
1: Well, I think it absolutely is. I don't, I don't think there's any way that, that you can look at those and not see that it's under attack. Um, I think this is wh- where I think that, yeah, it's under attack. I don't think it's uh, necessarily a a an exclusively Mormon issue, though, either. I mean, I think we've seen this coming for quite a while, right? If we look at what happened during, um, you know, the, the George Floyd riots and whatever, and that was horrible. That cop deserves to go to jail for the rest of his life. But there was a certain amount of leniency that was given at destroying property, setting things on fire, that sort of thing. So this isn't exclusively a Mormon problem. I think this is a problem with Western society in general.
0: Yeah, religion, you think uh, that religion is under attack in general?
1: I do, I do. I think religion's under attack. I think, um, you know, traditional... Uh, Institutions are under attack. Um, I I feel like we're we're moving into a different a different time, so to speak. And I I feel like certain aspects of that old
0: society have to go, you know,
1: are, are being targeted to go away so they can be replaced with something different.
0: Yeah, we covered this in our last episode of the Mormon News Roundup that a father had just uh, assaulted his son for not going on an LDS mission, and he was just uh, he was just arrested and he was uh, convicted for that. That was not the type of thing. I don't think I don't remember reading anything like that in the past. It seems like you know the people's willingness to attack others based on their religion it could be on the increase. We covered a couple of months ago that some um, uh, Mormon missionaries on the East Coast that they had their car uh, burned uh, completely burned out by somebody who put a flaming rag into their gas tank. You know that. I was, you know, I was a Mormon missionary in the East Coast. That never happened to anybody while I was a missionary. So, yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of uh, anti-religious sentiment, and the AP sex abuse story is certainly not helping on that. But the question, I think it's a larger question. Yes, there's some one-offs. That certainly some people are taking things uh, into their own hands, and they're they can be delusional. The guy in Saint George who burned down the three chapels, you know, he's probably not mentally competent. He's actually he's probably crazy. So it. You know, certain people do attack the church and religion in general but is it a wider phenomenon is this something that is um, you know different than what we've seen in the past or is it just more than the more of the same what do you think
1: well it depends on how far back you want to go right I mean look certainly within uh, the later part of the 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 1900s and certainly up to this point in the in the well up until about maybe four or five years ago into the 2000s we hadn't seen it Oops, I think you're muted there. Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, we, you know, it, we can go back to certain parts of church history where we can see that we were under attack before, right? Go back to the Missouri period, the Kirtland period, you know. So is is this simply another flare-up? I I don't think it is. I think that what we're looking at is, is probably a little more um, pointed. The other thing was is that for the most part— the the mormonism and the lds church in general was kind of protected here in utah a little bit or at least isolated
0: from it and i don't think that's necessarily the case now yeah because it, you know the ability to uh, reach out and everyone is global these days so it used to be that if you wanted to criticize the church and um you know confront the members that you would really have to you know be where the members are now anyone across the world can um be a critic right well, yeah.
1: And, and look, I'm all for criticism. I'm all for, for, you know, free speech. If the church has screw, screwed up, if Mormonism has screwed up, let's have a conversation about it. My, the thing I worry about the most is the burning of the buildings, the putting people's lives in danger, right? Let's have a conversation about Mormonism and about the LDS church, but let's not start burning stuff to the ground. And certainly let's not start hurting people.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, um, we, we uh, The last Mormon missionary who died, I believe uh, we covered this on the Mormon News Roundup, I believe that it was a couple of months ago in Mexico City, he died from a bike accident. But all too often, the people who are on the front lines of, of receiving these cultural attacks are often the Mormon missionaries because they are the most visible and they encounter the most people in um, potentially dangerous circumstances. So, you know, unfortunately, it's probably only a matter of time until some of these crazy people catch up with those elders. And I remember being a Mormon missionary myself, and I um, did have a couple of uh, brushes with people that could have uh, led to some violence and that was even back in the 90s um so you know i hope that those type of things um uh, you know i i worry about those elders who are out there every day yeah i
1: i do yeah i do as well i i i'm worried about society in general to be honest with you uh, especially western society um but specifically within my own realm mormonism in general right um are are we are we now looking at at a new normal
0: uh, let's hope not. Now, if you, uh, for our listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with the Mormon News Roundup, you can send us a voicemail if you come on over to Anchor. We're also on Twitter. We're at, at NewsMormon on Twitter. You, or if you are interested in our content, you can find us on Patreon as well. That does bring us to our Mormon News Roundup question of the week. And um, that's also at the bottom. Uh, we have a question of the week. If you want to come over to Anchor, you can uh, answer our open-ended question and get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, What is, uh, Dave, the Mormon News Roundup question of the week?
1: Uh, let me see here. Where's that at? Oh, is at, the the LDS... of the page. at the bottom of the page. Uh-huh. Uh... Question of the week. Is the LDS church culture under attack?
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't have to believe that or yes or no. It's just a question. Just like the poll. You don't have to believe anything in the poll. These are just questions for people to interact with. Not something that you need to uh, swear, yeah. when, sw- no. swear allegiance to when we get to the pearly gates of Peter. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, um, I, I.
1: I think it's definitely under attack. I, I don't think there's any way we you can say that it's not.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's it's difficult to argue against that. You could I, I've provided a lot of examples, and I'm sure people could provide a lot more examples, including all their including themselves in their own personal lives. We haven't covered anything about uh, uh, the personal uh, lives of people as well. Now uh, we have three last articles here to get through, and uh, the next article here was from uh, it is are uh, LDS top LDS leaders getting too old. Now on a recent episode of Mormonland, which is put forth by uh, Peggy Fletcher Stack and David uh, Weiss, I think um, on this. Salt Lake Tribune, they had a guest, uh, Greg Prince, on who came on to discuss the pitfalls associating with an aging LDS leadership. And it says, since David O. McKay, several presidents of the church have uh, have served their final weeks, months, or even years totally incapacitated, not capable of fulfilling the requirements of their callings. During these periods of incapacitation, sometimes the counselors take over the duties of the presidency. Um, Is LDS church leadership getting too old? I don't think it's a question of
1: age. um what I will say is that if you go back and you look at what Joseph Smith had attempted to do with the Quorum of the twelve apostles he he definitely rolled the the work of the kingdom of God onto their shoulders right so theoretically there's nothing that that would um get in the way of the twelve exercising that authority if if an elder if a a uh, senior member of leadership became in, incapacitated. However, there there's something interesting that that we see here, and that's that you get the feeling that where power abhors a vacuum, somebody steps in to fill that, right? And so, what what's getting passed in while someone is incapacitated? Uh, you and I spoke earlier about when when Monson became incapacitated, right? and we saw things come out that hadn't necessarily been been talked about beforehand I don't think and were just kind of pushed front and center.
0: Yep. Definitely. So,
1: you know I think, well, I think it gives the opportunity for certain agendas to be pushed in the, in those instances.
0: It certainly does. You reference Joseph Smith though when Joseph Smith set up the quorum of the 12 uh, first of all he he ordained uh, he had the uh, three witnesses help select the uh, original apostles in 1835. He set up their Uh, age as their seniority. Whoever was oldest was considered the senior part. So I don't think that you can argue and say that Joseph Smith did not set up a gerontocracy because he did. Now, Brigham Young later changed it from the age of the apostle to the date of the ordination of the apostle. But no matter how you structure it, if you go back to Joseph Smith, the natural uh, interpretation is that he wanted a gerontocracy, and that's what we have.
1: Yeah, no, I I I can't disagree with that whatsoever. You're you're 100% correct on how he set that up. Um again, I think this this is more of a a problem with people in certain positions of power than it is with the system, right?
0: If you think about it, we've had at least four uh, church presidents in the last 60 years that have had a serious mental decline. David O. McKay, uh, in the late 60s, as soon as he was incapacitated, Hubie Brown attempted to change the uh, Blacks in the priesthood policy and uh, so that uh, those with African descent could get into the temple. He ended up uh, butting heads with Harold B. Lee, and he was only one of two apostles who was relegated out of the first presidency. He, along with uh, Elder Uchtdorf, were basically fired from the first presidency for it. When President Kimball was losing it in the uh, 80s, the apostles conspired against the Arrington Historical Department, got him kicked out as the church historian moved down to BYU. President Benson also was uh, unfortunately drooling in general conference. That's when the September 6th excommunication took place, which basically gutted an entire generation of uh, Mormon intellectuals. And finally, when uh, President Monson uh, was starting to slip away in dementia in 2015, uh, President Nelson and and President Oaks, uh, they instituted the so-called November 25th uh, 2015 policy, which had a very, very vast and far-reaching, mostly negative consequences. So, yeah, I mean, we're seeing that. Um, what is it? Nature abhors a vacuum. Is that the saying? Right. Or the power. Yep.
1: yep. Nature, Nature abhors a vacuum.
0: Yeah, I mean, when there's a vacuum, uh, people swoop in. And um, is this really what uh, is the best system to be designed um, for the Lord's true mouthpiece on Earth? That's that's my question.
1: I think I think the system itself is fine, right? I, I think I think when when I think the problem comes in if everybody's not seeking for the same goal, which should be spreading the gospel, um, helping to administer the kingdom as efficiently as possible. And when ego starts to creep in, I think this is when you see those sorts of things you just talked about. Somebody has an idea and then they see an opportunity and they take it. I think this also shows that, that, I think for a lot of years, and I'll just speak for myself, in my time in the LDS church, I just assumed that all those men were always united in everything they did. And I think that even certain conference talks seem to be at polar ends of the spectrum, right? <laughs> and and so I don't think that this idea that they're united is necessarily uh, a despite what we may want to believe as, as members of the LDS Church or as Mormons, I, I, I don't think that they're necessarily united.
0: Now, they're not as united in presentation as one might would hope for or as the front right. that they put forward. But yeah, and yeah. so
1: back to your question, is that a problem with the system? No, that's a problem with people.
0: Uh, fair, fair enough, fair enough. But at what point does it – if it happens once or twice, I get it. If it happens a number of times, at what point does it become a systematic problem rather than just a one-off? If it's a one-off, okay, then, okay, it's a one-off. But if it happens time and time again, at some point, is this a problem with the system? That's what the article is asking. I don't know if we've reached that point.
1: Yeah, I I don't think we – I don't think there's a problem with the system. I think this is a a problem with people. I think that – Um, if anything, maybe this should inspire people to maybe demand a little bit more out of their leadership, right? We're, we're not having the conversation is the constitution broken because we have bad politicians, right? We have bad politicians because we don't demand more out of our leadership. I think the same can be true for the LDS church, right? I mean, if, if they want better, more, um, um, sound leadership demand that from them. They listen to you.
0: You know, speaking of politics, that does bring us to our next article, which I definitely think that you will be uh, very interested in, which is New York judge rules in favor of polyamorous relationships, and this was on Greg Owen on Sunday, October second, and this was put out by LGBTQnation.com. So the judge concluded here that polyamorous relationships are entitled to the same sort of legal protection that's given to two-person relationships. So this, and I believe this is the same judge that helped to pave the a way for uh, polygamy to be uh, legalized uh, uh, in, in New York as well. I'm not 100% sure on that. What is the state of the legality of uh, polygamist uh, mer- uh, relationships in the United States uh, right now, Dave? Uh, I th- well,
1: I guess that depends on how you're going to define polygamy, right? If you're going to define it as bigamy, a guy having more than one um, marriage license, it's illegal. Um So that that is illegal. Now, as far as a living arrangement where you're living with a, you know, two wives, I I think that that's, you know, pretty much at this point, if it's not completely legal, it is uh, it's at least not prosecuted. Right. Because if they're going to prosecute you for illegal cohabitation as a polygamist, they now have to go prosecute anybody who's living together who's not married and in illegal cohabitation.
0: Right. That could be that could be BYU students at uh, off campus housing. So it doesn't really work. But we're seeing, you know, this this is I wonder if do you think that this is going to have a more far reaching ramifications? Because we had three individuals here. uh, What are their names? Their names were um, O'Neill, Scott Anderson, Marcus O'Neill and also uh, Robert Romano, and they say, well, we're three people who are living together. We want to be married, just like everyone else is. And this judge is saying, hey, you know, we're going to let this go forward because he, the judge here, he doesn't see a difference between a marriage of two people and a marriage of three people. For the judge, what's the difference? If they want to make a get into a binding relationship, why does the state have to have a vested interest and say that this is not uh, proper? So you and I
1: talked about this a little earlier on. Um, and th- I, I've got mixed feelings on this. One, the libertarian in me wants to get um, the government out of marriage entirely, right? However, there is a certain safety in if you're going to marry more than one woman in, in this, you know, in speaking from a Mormon perspective, if it's legal, you're at least on the hook for child support, Right. There's been a lot, you know, there's been, uh, you know, more than a handful of men who had um, a bunch of kids with different women and then just bailed and didn't pay child support. Um, I, I feel like this is a, this could be a good thing, right? If, if, if a man wants to have more than one wife and a larger family, well, he better be able to support them. And let's, let's also, I think that by full legalization you get polygamy out of the shadows where a lot of nasty things can can happen um so i i don't know i tend to be on the side of yeah I'll just make it legal
0: yeah i think uh, i think there's a lot of hesitation for that because in, in i think the concept of polygamy that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it on a conceptual level whatsoever there's absolutely no reason that it cannot be legal the reason that i think that people are hesitate that hesitate to legalize polygamy in particular judges is because in almost every application of it it has led to issues. Take the FLDS, take um, some of the other offshoots and other branches. A lot of times men in particular end up getting in, uh, get, you know, gaining a lot of power. Women end up in terrible situations. There ends up being child abuse. There ends up being, uh, you know, rampant abuse of uh, federal uh, programs like the SNAP program, like welfare programs and other things. So every time that you try to implement it, every time I believe in the United States, every time that it's been implemented, it hasn't gone so well. So that's, I think, the reason that people are, that judges like this are not wanting to uh, swear off on it, when in reality, there's nothing conceptually wrong with it at all. Well,
1: I think, let's use the FLDS as an example here, right? I think that that, I think the reason all that nasty stuff happened down there, that that horror show that Warren Jeffs oversaw, that happened because they had been marginalized, marginalized and pushed into the shadows, Right. That was a people who dealt with the societal scars of the Short Creek Raid, right? Where now you could have a tyrant come up and say, see, they're coming for your kids. But if you listen to me, I'll keep you all safe. Right? I see.
0: So I see. you push so them into I think the shadows,
1: that- right? By, by, by making it illegal and not just illegal, uh. but we will par- prosecute you for it. You push them into the shadows and you push them into the waiting arms of a dictator a tyrant. Now, had that been legal and out in the open and a woman could have gone to her the local authorities and say I'm being abused or my children are being abused and know that she's not in danger of her losing her kids, all of a sudden the sunlight's out on on that and sunlight's the best disinfectant. So by making this legal, I think you're going to have I think it's a way where you're going to see less abuse. You're going to have fathers being on the hook for the kids that they have. And also when abuse does happen, the woman in the relationship or the party being abused can feel safer going to the authorities because they're going to feel like they don't have to explain their marital situation.
0: Yeah. I I like what you said there, you know, uh, and maybe that is the reason that virtually every polygamist, um, Um, enclave or polygamous exercise, or or, um, every time that it's been tried, that it's mostly um, had bad results is because it hasn't been legal. If you were to legalize it and normalize it, then you could could essentially have polygamous relationships. And from this article that we see even polyamorous relationships that could be normal and healthy between consenting adults, you know, and and make it totally normal. Absolutely. That's the question.
1: Absolutely. And and I think, I think also I don't want to. I want to make sure we're not overgeneralizing here. I know a lot of of independent Mormon and uh, fundamentalist Mormons who belong to a group or don't belong to a group who have happy, healthy plural families. It's just you know, again, because of societal scars, they tend to keep their mouth shut about it.
0: You know, and we were talking earlier in our coordination call and you said, you know, why does the government why is the government getting involved with this polyamorous relationship in New York to begin with? Why is the government getting involved with marriage to begin with? Shouldn't marriage be something that's between um, consenting adults and, and maybe between you and God? Why does the state need to get involved? And, and, you know, we discussed that, you know, the problem here is that the state bases a lot of benefits and other things based upon your marital status. They need to adjudicate. Who owns a certain property rights? Those can be associated with marriage. They need to say who is going to pay alimony. That can be associated with with marriage. You know, there's certain veterans' rights. There's certain social security rights. All of these are tied to marriage. You know, the way, in my opinion, if you were to want to get the federal government out of the um, adjudicating as who is married and who is not, there's a very simple way to do that, and that would be to use a universal basic income. That's not something I'm advocating. It's just something that if you wanted to get the government out of the marriage business, if you had a universal basic income, which is where everybody gets enough benefits for their own lives, then you wouldn't need to rely on different definitions of marriage. You wouldn't need to rely on any of these benefits because everyone would get the same level of support from the government. Therefore, you could let people define marriage how they wanted to define it.
1: You know, I I tend to be pretty um, conservative in my financial views uh i worry a little bit that uh universal basic income will will end up turning into a horror show like every other socialist experiment um however i can i can at least see what you're saying there and, and say that maybe that does have a valid um uh, a valid basis i guess
0: yeah, as long as the government, um, uh, you know, as long as benefits are tied to a marriage status in the federal government and even in the state government, then that means that the state and federal government has to define who is married and who is not. Until the government right. gets out of that business, until the government gets out of that business, then we have to rely on the government. And you know, and we just had Roe. Uh, we just had Roe versus Wade that uh, got overthrown by this incredibly conservative court, and the rumblings on the street. Is that they're going to be coming after gay marriage next? And you know what could be the next domino after that? It could be polygamy. You know, these are the rumblings that are coming down the street. We could be seeing uh, polygamy get legalized by this incredibly right-leaning court. If it's going to get, if polygamy or polyandry is ever going to be legalized, it's going to be in the next couple of years with this incredibly right-leaning court. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't,
1: I would agree with you in the sense that. Um, it, it's maybe the rightest court I can ever remember. Um, now, you know, to be fair, I was, I, I was on board with what the Supreme Court did there with abortion. But uh, again, I, I do always worry about letting, letting government define what our relationships are. But I also go back to this idea of if everything's legalized, there's, you, you have no more reason to hide in the shadows.
0: And uh, thank you. That brings us to our final article of the week. We always like to end on a a kind of a lighthearted one. And this is really making the rounds here where Cosmo the Cougar, he's a a balancing stunt that Sports Illustrated says is on another level. And you can uh, see all of these links to all of these articles in our show notes here. But this was uh, tweeted out by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we see uh, Cosmo the Cougar, he's doing push-ups here uh, at at a BYU football game. And he's pushing himself up, not just like a normal push-up up up a few inches, inches, but he is literally pushing himself up on a push-up three feet in the air under these tables, and he ends up nine feet in the air on top from doing these push-ups. And this is making the rounds on Sports Illustrated. You know, a lot of people out there, Dave, as you well know, they are not too interested in uh religion and uh Mormon podcasts, but you know what they are interested in is college football. And Sports, when and when yeah. they, when you ask them about Mormons, you know what their biggest association is with is with BYU college football. And Cosmo the Cougar, he this This video right here reached more people than all of the general conference talks combined. I bet you.
1: Dude, I'll tell you what I watch that thing, and holy cow, whoever's in that suit is uh I don't I don't know. I'm just going to call for it now. I think they need to test Cosmo the Cougar for performance enhancing drugs. There, <laughs> there's just no way that that thing is natural. I mean, to do that inside of a fur suit, I'm just kidding. But no, I it, it it was amazing. I mean, I I watched that video two or three times, and maybe it's because I'm a great big fat guy, but uh, I was like, oh, that that looks painful. That looks horrible.
0: Yeah, Co- Cosmo is the best missionary that, church, that the church has right now, without question. You know, you said you may need to test Cosmo the Cougar for performance-enhancing drugs. Well, based on the number of Cosmo the Cougars that have actually come out of the closet as gay, they may need to test Cosmo for a, a bit more than performance-enhancing drugs. I'm just <laughs> saying. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I wasn't aware that, that Cougars ran
1: in prides, but apparently so. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, you bet. Now uh, I want to uh, uh I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, there, Mr. Mormon Renegade, David. Really appreciate it. Here now, our next uh, week's uh, uh, episode out there, we're going to have Rachel Biblioteca from the Good Book Club on next we- next week, and we're going to have PD from the Priesthood Dispatches on uh, the week after that, on October twenty third. And we have a soft commitment from RFM saying that he is going to come onto the podcast sometime soon, perhaps in November or December. So uh, shout out to Weird Album for this episode's music. Thank Thanks so much, uh, Dave, for ruminating with me on the Great and Spacious Beehive. And remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan.